All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. Standard issue for all women. Hello, Hannah here. Merry Christmas if you're listening to us on Christmas Day. Hope you had a nice Christmas. If you're listening to us after Christmas Day, or, you know, maybe Happy Easter, who knows what your schedule is. So, I realise that this time of year can be really tough for people on their own. However, for a lot of single people, being on their own is actually a thing to celebrate. And so I decided to get on the phone with a woman after my own heart, the author Tanya Hirschman, to talk about spinsters, enjoying single life, and her new book, Go On. Now, if you are one of those people who is alone at Christmas and you do want some company, thanks to our lovely boss, Sarah Millican, there is now the annual Twitter tradition of join in. So if that's you, please, please don't be alone and sad. Get involved on Christmas Day at hashtag join in. Welcome, Tanya, to Standard Issue. It's lovely to have you back. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Now, this podcast actually began to be going out on Christmas Day. Christmas Day. Oh, my God. Okay. Part of the reason that I wanted to put it out on Christmas Day is because, you know, Sarah runs the most excellent thing Join on in. Twitter. Join in. Yes. For people who are on their own, they don't have to be single, but they're on their own at Christmas. And that's great. But... Lots of people are really happy on their own at Christmas, and I suspect that you are one of those people, yes? I am. I am one of those people, yes. It almost feels a bit sinful to admit it. Yeah. (laughs) 
it almost seems a bit braggy, I think, in a way, doesn't it? I think that's part of the problem with being single is, do I have to feel guilty for being glad to be on my own? I sometimes feel I have to tamp down the glee with which I say, I'm just going to be at dinner, make you spit out your dinner. Like, don't be too gleeful. (laughs) (laughs) This is a great start to it. It's like a balance between trying to look sad and saying, no, I'm on my own, or trying to, you know, actually be not too gleeful of saying, yes, it's just me. (laughs) It's so exciting. So can I ask you, at what point in your life did you think, if I end up on my own forever, I'm, I'm good with that? Well, I've had to obviously think about this a lot because of this this new novel that came out a couple of weeks ago, which is is a quite a new thing for me in terms of trying to figure out how to talk about this book. And this is obviously one of the threads that's running through it is about a woman moving happily alone through the world. So it's made me really think about it. And what I remember, and but it is possible that I'm making this up, but I am a fiction writer. I'm pretty sure that my dream when I was a kid was to be a writer living on her own with a cat. And I am, I am. It's like I achieved my dream. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it wasn't that I had some dream, the whole prince or princess charming or whatever that, and then at a certain point I gave it up. I'm pretty sure this is why I always wanted, but I thought I wasn't allowed. I thought this was not something I was allowed to want, to live on my own with a cat yeah. and, and do the writing. You're Generation X, aren't you? Same as me. <laughs> am I? Am I Generation I'm 52. Yeah, same as me. So, I mean, yeah. I'm Generation X, so I'm not 52, I'm 49, but you, you, you get my so point. So young. Yes. You're so youthful. People used to ask me a lot, and now they don't. And I wonder if the reason they don't ask me so much is because I've tipped over to the point of where I can no longer have children. Yeah, although maybe not. I mean, I don't know if we either of us have quite reached that, because that's a whole other discussion, is it? The, the woman who doesn't have children, that's a, a mm. whole separate thing, really. I had a number of really massively unsuccessful relationships. It wasn't domestic violence, but they weren't good relationships for me mentally or I think for the person that was in them, um, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. I sometimes think that that there should be some sort of relationships anonymous thing, you know, like like with alcoholics, sometimes I have to go and apologise for all the terrible things (laughs) that I did. Making amends. I remember deciding to take an active break from this. And just to ride out the rest of my 20s, just be fine. And then maybe see what happened in my 30s. And then I just never thought about it ever again. (laughs) I just never, ever thought I best go and find myself a husband. Or not necessarily a husband, a partner of either gender. Never, never again. It never crossed my mind again. That is so interesting. Yeah. I wish now that I'd actually kept the names and details of everybody who bet me a tenner that I would be married by the age of 40. Because I think I would have quite a lot of money. God. Now. That is so fascinating to me. I don't think anyone has ever bet me. I feel like people gave up on me. And I don't even know what that means. But I think I feel like there was something about me that when it's like I tried to write a dating profile when when internet dating started. But my dating profile was pretty much... Me saying I really love being on my own. I just love being alone. <laughs> and then I thought this is not this is not really right for me. But I was in a relationship for ten years, and I think that for me was sort of me testing it out, me really wanting to look normal, me wanting to look like the people that were around me mm. and trying out this thing. And you know, I don't. Once again, I don't think it it wasn't great for me or the person I was in a relationship with. I don't think so. And I ended it because I really wanted to be by myself again. And I don't think the person I had been in a relationship with believed me. I think they thought I wanted to be with someone else. But I wanted to be with myself. 
really, really strongly. I just wanted to be alone again. I thought, I've tried this. This was my experiment of what it's like to closely observe another human being at very mm. close quarters. And I'm, I've done that now. And I now I'm very convinced that I, I want to be alone. And that was 10 years ago. I went on one date just after that because I thought, what is this dating thing? But no, that, that was just not, just not for me. So I just thought that was an experiment. But just back to the living alone with the cat. Maybe we shouldn't just talk about cats a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one second, because one, one of mine is making a terrible noise. Stop it, whatever it is that you're doing. <laughs> I, I'm really intrigued by the people who bet you a tenner that you'd be married by 40. Where are they now? I do know where one of them is, and he's twice divorced. Right. What I will say, though, is I am, in, in defence, I am a gambler. I quite often bet with people generally in life, you know, <laughs> have a fiver yeah. that this will happen or that won't happen. and. Yeah. So that's probably why it happened to me more than to other people. Do you think that being on your own, do you think it has had an impact on your personality or do you think your personality suits to being on your own? Gosh, that's such an interesting question. I mean, how how can we tell? I feel like I'm entirely not the same person I was 10 years ago, but I, perhaps that happens every 10 years anyway. Mm. I do feel very much, I mean, I really don't like the word single, I think we really need new language for this because single implies looking for, single implies mm. a search. I'm not half of anything. I'm entirely me. I'm an introvert, which I'm sure has a big impact on it and that I really, really love being alone. And I like being with people, but up to a point. Yeah. And then I have to retreat back again and, and summon up my energy for the next encounter. And I like talking and I'm not shy at all, but I'm very interested in this idea which is possibly in the new book, but I can't quite remember where I've written it because I wrote it a couple of years ago, is who are we when when there's no one there to reflect anything back to us? Mm. I have this theory about being an introvert is if I spend too much time around people, I start getting a physical sensation like I kind of want to climb out of my own skin. But if I'm too long on my own, I get a different kind of physical sensation like everything's too loose and amorphous so it's almost like being around people forces me to be some sort of fixed version of myself that other people can relate to but being on my own too much I maybe get too much of a looseness to myself do you see what I mean mm. so it's about striking some kind of balance you can see I think about this a lot um, I'm fascinated by it single women are the most interesting people that nobody gives a fuck about <laughs> it, like, <laughs> literally it's such a fascinating topic but nobody cares I think because people have a series of assumptions in their their head yeah. that they've come yeah. to because we are quite we are quite unusual you know whatever let's say the old-fashioned word spinsters you know yeah so I think part of it will come from the one you know so people yeah. people will know one but I also think it's because not many people really know us because to actually really really know someone you have to at least lived with them, I think, at some point yeah. in your life, which is why, you know, I would say my siblings of anyone are the people that know me best <laughs> or my yeah. best mate who I lived in a house with for five years. Single women are fascinating. There is there is something because of the condition of how it's been for women for centuries. I do I do think to myself and I was saying this to a friend today. I thank the suffragettes because I feel like they fought for my right to be able to live like this mm. as a woman with my own bank account and owning my own flat and earning my own money. And it, it's still it's still pretty new, isn't it? Yeah. And I think even in, in like in a, in a generation, because I, I know someone who's in my mum's generation. Yeah. Who is a spinster. 
single woman, whatever yeah. word we're going to come up with that is amazing. Solo. Solo is quite nice. A solo. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. would make me hand solo. That's quite exciting. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I love go that. with that. Yeah. And I can remember conversations about her, questions such as perhaps she was a lesbian because, you yeah. know, she wouldn't necessarily have been out, you know, being yeah. part of the boomer generation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But I actually don't think I've been asked questions like that. So I think it has, I think some of it has shifted. Some of yeah. it has. My granddad used to used to say things like to my mum, does she have a girlfriend? And my mum will be like, not that I know of. I think she'd probably tell us. I think my mum would have been just delighted that was with yeah. anyone at that point. Yeah. Like literally, if you've got a girlfriend, please bring her around because we're worried that you're on your own. I do feel that generation that had the struggle to understand it more. But I actually don't think yeah. I get asked that much. I certainly don't get asked that much anymore about it. I get asked if I've no. got kids a lot because marriage and kids are now yeah. not linked in the way that they were linked previously. Yeah, I guess if people assume I have kids. Um, yeah. And then I, I try not to mention the cats at that point because, you know, it takes it off in another direction. But I do think there are a lot more of women and people like us than we thought. About a year ago, I joined this Facebook group. I don't really like Facebook, but I joined a Facebook group called the Community of Single People, which was set up by Bella De Paolo, who's who's written a lot about being single at heart. And there are seven and a half thousand people in this Facebook group. And it's specifically, I think it's the only Facebook group that has the word single in it that is not about dating. And mm. in fact, you get reported to the administrators if you do talk about dating. And it's very much about people people all around the world, quite a lot of women, but also men, who it's the only space we have to say we love living on our own. We love doing things on our own and talking about the joy of it and the bliss of it. And um, what Bella de Paolo is called matrimonia of how our society is still so focused on there's just one way of being and one way of living. And it's as a couple and as mm. a married couple with all the benefits that that comes with, financial, etc. So I think there are a lot more people and I think the demographics are changing. But the story that we, we're, we're being told in society and on the media, that hasn't changed. Because I've never tried any of those dating nonsense things. Like there's, there's a plot point in Michaela Cole's really absolutely brilliant I May Destroy You. When, we, when I was reviewing it, Mickey had to pick me up on something and say, no, you're totally wrong there. And I was like, really? Yeah. And it was basically because I don't understand Tinder. So I literally, I just didn't. <laughs> no, I've never seen and, and I was like, wowzers. That's actually like a whole section of, of life that I have literally no experience and understanding of. Yeah. I know lots of married people who have literally yeah. no understanding or, or, yeah. of it because they've never had to use it either. Once as an experiment, I changed my Facebook status from single to in a relationship. Just to see what happened. <laughs> to see what happened, yeah. And loads of people sent me messages about it. What did what were they asked? They just were just really curious. Well, some of them were were like yeah, curious, and some of them were delighted, and some of them were a bit like, "Hang on, how come this is the first time I've heard about this on <laughs> Facebook?" But oh, of all the Facebook. things I've ever done on Facebook, that was the thing that got the biggest response was me doing that. Isn't that wild? I mean, I just you know, I am the only happily single. I don't even like the word single, but I'm mm. the only happily single person I know. Okay, well, what does that mean, Tanya? Does that mean you don't know any other single people that are happy or you don't know any yeah, other single people? I don't know any other single people that are happy about it. I don't know any other single people that have chosen this and this is the way they want to be and probably the way they want to stay. 
I mean, among my friends, I do now on this on this Facebook group of a community of single people. And there's another wonderful podcast called Solo. This is one of the tabs that I've left open on my desktop because it's a podcast by a guy called Peter McGraw. And it's called, hang on, Solo, The Single Person's Guide to a Remarkable Life. And it's really wonderful. And these are the things that that keep me going and that that kind of validate my life choices and say, no, you're not the only weirdo who feels like this. I wish I had at least one other friend who felt, you know, who was here I am. Hello. (laughs) Here I am. Okay, I've got a question that might be a bit personal. I don't know if you want to answer this. Yeah. What sort of relationship did your parents have? Um, My parents got divorced when I was 14. Right. And we, we do have this discussion on the community of single people facebook group every now and again of are we deeply scarred by our families or whatever and this whole idea of is it avoidant attachment theory or something like that but then again someone comes along and says actually if we're just happy what does it matter yeah and and so many people so many people on this group they've come at it from so many different directions some in their 20s and 30s and they've always been single and wanting to be alone some were married and divorced and it was bad and they never want to do it again some were married and widowed and it was so great they never want to do it again mm-hmm. or they've done it once and they thought this is the time now to be they just want to do their own thing now so there's so many different ways of coming at it different ways that people seem to be embracing aloneness and the whole just to just a counterpoint to the I'm using long words now and I can't even finish the sentence this whole idea that alone equals lonely yeah, it just you know, for so many of us, it's just not like that. Agreed. Uh, to be honest, I wasn't even lonely when I was shut in my house by myself for like three and a half months or whatever. It no, was. neither was I. Not at all. I missed individual people. Yeah, but I don't think my brain even allowed myself to think about about the idea of being lonely. In as much as I just thought, you got to get through this. And when you get through it and get out the other side, you're going to be able to see people again. And this isn't going to be the rest of your life and it will be fine. And it was fine. But I think when I look back now, I didn't, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything mad. (laughs) I didn't, (laughs) I didn't ever ring anyone crying. I didn't suffocate the cats with love. I just, (laughs) I don't even know that it's my parents' relationship that much. And I think my dad's personality is definitely part of the reason I'm single. Yeah, I do think that we're not even talking about him as a husband, but just talking about him as a human being. Yeah, he made all the choices in our family. Yeah. When I came out of our house, I thought I'm never going to let anybody ever make choices for me again. Yeah. I'm going to make all my own choices. And I don't really know how a man or a husband or a wife or whatever, you know, I don't know where they'd fit in to my life. I sometimes well, think it'd be nice to have a member of staff. Yeah. like a butler or like a butler i know that would be very useful i came out of cambridge train station the other day and it was absolutely hammering down with rain and there were loads of women getting off the train a lot of them looked like they've been going into london you know for a night out or coming home from work yeah and this sort of convoy of husbands and cars pulled up and took them all away and i thought <laughs> yeah i can i can see the upside now i'm standing in the piss yeah. and down the rain in a taxi rank but like I say, a, a, a chauffeur, a member of staff yeah, could do that, couldn't they? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, a butler, if a handyman. Yeah. yeah, just someone who could do that stuff for me, rather than someone who's 
who's do you know what i'd probably consider their feelings more than i <laughs> i feel like now because i'm really happy in my life and i love what i'm doing and i get up and i'm pretty much cheerful every day which i never thought i'd get to this point i think now i'd make someone a really great partner but only because i'm only like this because i'm on my own and that's why i'm so happy so i'm not it's like I'm not prepared to give up any of this, really. And I'm more worried that if I was in a relationship, I would lose myself because that's what happened last time. But it also makes me think, which takes us down another rabbit hole. You heard about relationship anarchy. No. That <laughs> well, sounds this is like my of... early 20s, though. I will <laughs> this is the whole sort of polyamory um, route. Got you. You know? yep. Ethical non-monogamy. But it's not just about having relationships with multiple people it's like if you're in a relationship you don't have to get on what they call the relationship escalator so you don't go out with someone and then the next step is you know moving in together then the next step is getting engaged then the next step is getting married that's the relationship escalator there are other possibilities like you meet someone you have a relationship you don't move in together Mm. you know you do other things like you know couple what do they call it living apart together or something like that um there was a very funny episode of this solo podcast where they were talking about the idea that somebody knew a married couple where the 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 wife wanted to wanted them to have separate duvets and apparently when the mother-in-law heard about the separate duvets she was deeply shocked and i just thought (laughs) why shouldn't we have separate bedrooms separate houses separate you know if you are people who would like more space, who was that famous celebrity couple that's probably terrible now? Didn't they live in houses next door to oh, each Tim other? Oh, Tim Burton and um, Helena they Bonham Carter. They didn't go Carter. well with it. No, they split up. <laughs> yeah. I want to tell you a story that you'll like. Yeah. And then it can lead us to something that you are quite the expert on. You've done a lot of stuff on this. <laughs> so... As we've said, I'm writing a book and I'm, it's it's crazy. There's too much stuff. I've got too many notes yeah. in too many places. So I decided recently that I was just going to, I had this massive sheet of perspex. I was just going to stick post-it notes all over it with Perfect. all of these names yeah. on. Because, you know, I, in, I've got a particular interest in, and you said it earlier in that sort of, the idea of who are we when, when, when no one's looking. So, you know, it's got baby Jane Hudson on there. It's got, it's got the women from Grey Gardens on there. You know, they're all... Yeah. They're all there and, and try and formulate in my mind where they all fit together. So I did that, but I've only got cheap post-it notes and eventually quite a lot of them started <laughs> to fall down. And yeah. I was walking through the house the other day and I saw I had a post-it note stuck to the bottom of my trainer <laughs> and I pulled it off and it said, you will die alone. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and did you start reading something into this? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought, well, there you go. You and me can laugh at this, but other people would be horrified by that as yeah, a notion. Yeah. And you've talked quite a lot about that. The radio programme I made a couple of years ago. So I was writer in residence for a year. I live in Manchester and there's an amazing cemetery up the road, the Southern Cemetery, which is the second biggest cemetery in Europe. Although they say that and no one's sure if it means the number of dead people, the number of graves, how big it is. But I decided I want to be writer in residence in the cemetery and just hang out there for like a year and find out what it is to do that as your job, to work in the cemetery on a daily basis. And then I also, I started wandering among the graves and I was dis- I discovered that I was looking for graves 
with names of women on them that might be like me. So women who were not described as anybody's wife, as anybody's mother. And I would start writing down the names of these women. And I thought I would say the names of these women out loud because I thought maybe there is no one else to say their names. Mm. I didn't know what I was going to do with this writing residency. I, I write short stories and poetry and I thought maybe I'll just write some poems. And then a radio producer I know got quite excited when she heard about it and said, let's make a radio programme set in a cemetery and it was basically around me and how I might like to be remembered after I die as a person without a spouse and without children. And just a small aside, I try to find ways to describe myself that don't say what it is I'm lacking. Yeah. And it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible. So we made this radio program three years ago and I really very much wanted it to be a cheerful program set in a cemetery about death and not a very, very mournful one. So I think it starts with me giggling. And we talked to a couple of other people and we talked to a vicar and a humanist celebrant and a friend of mine who'd planned her own funeral after she'd had cancer twice. And and then it was me doing a lot of talking of trying to figure my way through this thought, this idea. And it was on Radio 4 three years ago and on the BBC World Service, which was an absolute joy and I didn't know that was going to happen. And is this where I I then read to you the bit from the Radio Times? Yeah, go on. (laughs) God, I love this. So the Radio Times did a preview before it went out on the radio and their preview was just one paragraph and it started with, this is an affecting take on a subject that continues to baffle much of society, the deliberately single woman. And I just thought, well, firstly, I had no idea that I was baffling. And I thought it was funny. And then I thought, this is not funny. You know, they only wrote a one paragraph preview. And this is how they start it, is that I am baffling. And not as a deliberately, what have they said? Not as a deliberately single person, but as a deliberately single woman. Mm. And I thought that was so odd. And I laughed about it. But then the best thing was when you're on the radio, the, the most joyous thing is you get people writing to you who've heard, who've listened to you when they're in their garden or something. And they people wrote from all over the world saying, oh, my God, you validated my life choices. And it was really, really moving. And I'm still getting some emails three years later. And it's still you can still listen to it online. The BBC rebroadcast it on New Year's Day, which seemed odd to me because yeah. clearly that's the day you want to think about your own death. <laughs> But I love cemeteries. I love hanging out in cemeteries. And I'm really, really intrigued by these women that we may never know anything about. I don't know if they were like me. I would look up in the records of the the cemetery records. The cemetery dates back to, I think, 1898 or something like that. And they would write in spinster in the records when it was Mm. a, a, a single unmarried woman. And I would have loved to know more about these women. And because I didn't know about these women, I just made it up, basically. And so that's one of the threads in my new novel. So I was writing that at the time uh, when we were making the radio programme. One of the threads in the book is a woman walking through the cemetery on her own talking to the dead and what the dead think of this woman who seems to be alone and not seeming to be coming to visit any particular grave but is saying names of women out loud who might be like her. When the Radio Times called me baffling, I thought, wow, I really need to finish this book. And tell this story which is partly my story I call it a fictional memoir in collage the novel and I will never say which bits are fiction and which bits are autobiographical (laughs) but I just thought I don't I don't necessarily want to be baffling in the way that they've described me because I think I'm not alone in this in having a life 
in this way and having chosen a life in this way. So I thought, wow, I'd really like to get this book out in the world mm. just to, so we can tell some different stories. It's, it's really interesting, Marie Tanya. I cannot possibly even start to explain it because, <laughs> because I think it, it defies explanation. And I think it's really interesting. But just to go back to your point there, yeah. I, think, I think it's, it's kind of wild, isn't it, that, that if you and I are being defined by what we haven't done, so we haven't, yeah. we are childless and we, we are husbandless, is legacy the point of having children? Yeah, I, I I don't know. It is something I think about. I, I think about quite a lot. I don't know that it fills me with dread, because, no. like I say, if I go back to lockdown, if that's what if that's what retirement is, or not retirement, if that's what old age is going to be, just yeah. sitting in my house looking at a robin out the window. Quite like I that. reckon I'm alright with it. That's the same as being a poet. That's all we do. We just stare out the window. <laughs> I know. I do. I do think. I mean, there's all these myths as well about single people that, oh, God, I just cringe every time I say the word single, really, is that we must be lonely because we don't have a person in the house. But all the research, um, they post this a lot on the community of single people. There's so much research done saying that single people are actually more sociable and actually perhaps we do more volunteering and we get out there more and we're more involved in our communities because basically we we if we want to be with people we can go out and be with people mm. the whole point is though is when we want to be alone we can be alone yeah. um but also like the thing with children is having children i believe is no guarantee that they will then be there for you in your old age yes that is that is a very very good point yeah particularly i think you know for me if i didn't want them yeah. i don't know how great a job i would have done of it anyway no exactly <laughs> i didn't want to yeah i didn't yeah. really want to be anybody's mother so i'm not yeah. going to do it just and once again, we could hire someone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really all comes down to the staff, basically. Yeah, it? it really does. One thing that you say in this book, it's the daftest thing in the world, but it has also <laughs> constantly crossed my mind, which is yeah. the minute I write a book about how great it is to be single, I'm going to meet a partner <laughs> and marry them. Oh, that's the bit where I, where I say, where the, well, I, let me just say, it's the author talking to the narrator and I'm not mm. going to tell you if any of this is autobiographical but when she says what happens if I fall in love and then what's going to happen to this book yes <laughs> this whole book is basically a thought experiment and it was just me thinking through all sorts of different scenarios and trying to tell different stories and I'm not surprised you can't sum it up because well just so you know since we are talking about writing books as well this is a book I feel like it's about telling new stories, but it's also about how to tell your own story or the telling of stories. Mm. So it's got that kind of layer to it of the difficulty sometimes of getting into the story. And it's a book that I call a hybrid. And so I think possibly because I've been, this is, it's my ninth book, even though it's my first novel. So I spent a long time writing short stories and poetry, which have got weirder and weirder over the years. So I've given myself a lot of permission to let go of knowing what what it is that I'm writing or what, what my own work is about and very much handing over to the kind of reader that likes it my work and saying, make of this what you will. Mm. And so I try very hard. I've stopped years ago saying what I think my own work is about. And I think this especially, it, it's an experimental novel, but there's a lot of gaps for the reader to step in themselves and make it what they would like um read it in the in the way that, that that brings themselves into it and it's like we're co-creating the story so when you were talking about all your post-it notes and trying to figure out how it all fits together mm. maybe you just need to trust that it will fit together 
at some point and you just need to you know that just need to get going and and other people readers will put all the pieces together in their own ways my book is published by a very small press and I'm incredibly grateful to them. They're called Broken Sleep and their motto is lay out your unrest. And I think this is me laying out my unrest about society only telling this one story of mm. romance of couples and me trying to tell another story. But it's the kind of book that is so hard to categorise that it would never be picked up by a mainstream publisher. But I'm very glad I've had about three or four responses to it and I'm just so happy if one person who's not related to me reads it which is just delightful but it's so interesting just the three or four responses to it have been so different have been all lovely in Mm. very different ways and it's really made me think yes people are reading different things into it because I've left all these spaces for people to do that which it's a fine line between that and doing and just giving up on trying to make a thing coherent I want to make it some kind of whole and something that works together as a whole, but not make it so tightly held that there's no space Mm. for a reader in there, if that that makes sense. Tell me about your new book, Tanya, what you're writing now. Oh, God, Can you tell me about it? I can. I think I can. I get very excited about it. So at some point you might have to cut me off. This current book, Go On, turned into a novel which was very surprising to me because I've always been a writer of very short things. And so for a long time, the working title was Long Thing. But we decided, <laughs> me and my agent, that that probably wouldn't, you know, wouldn't go down well. But I, I think possibly, you know, following on from being called Baffling and finding this community of single people on Facebook and realising that there are more people like me out there. So the new novel is set in an alternative version of our society where Being single is the norm, solitude is celebrated, and being in a couple is not just viewed with suspicion, it's possibly a crime. I know. So I was reading a lot of crime fiction over lockdown. (laughs) It starts with two detectives, both women, who are sitting out doing a kind of stakeout outside someone's house where it's been reported that there's a couple living. And so I thought I was starting from the really weirdest, oddest, premise possible and I didn't really have a plan and I was writing my way into it and I thought this is going to be really really weird and I'm doing loads of research as well so I'm basically I'm reading up on the history of marriage and going back thousands and thousands of years and obviously the history of marriage is the history of the patriarchy Mm. and you cannot separate the two and the more I read and the more I started writing I realized that And I'm really not worried at all about giving away too much because if more people want to write these books, I would love it. I realised that firstly, I was watching a lot of... The other thing I was doing a lot over lockdown is I got became obsessed with Star Trek. And I hadn't watched watched Star Trek since the 70s, since the original show. So I watched so much Star Trek over lockdown. And I realised that even with science fiction, even when you're on other planets, however far you go and whatever century you're in, everyone's still in couples. They're still married. Mm. They're on the other planets and it's husbands and wives. And I thought, is this somehow the last taboo, the last thing that no one's no one's let go of, this idea that we all come two by two? Mm. And why is that? And I think it's really, really fascinating. So I thought I'm going to write this book and see what happens. And I also, I realised when I was about 50 pages in that there was a point if it's an alternative version of our society, there was there was a specific point in our history where things could have shifted. And that's just after World War One, where you have the whole idea of the surplus women. Mm. 
And so that was the point at which you have almost 2 million women in the UK and perhaps 15 million across Europe that in the newspapers were referred to incredibly rudely as surplus or extra because there weren't enough men left to marry them. And I thought, how interesting. What if this is just as some women are getting the vote? What if huger numbers of women, of these surplus women, suddenly came together at that point in between the two wars and really stepped into their own power? Mm. And that is the point at which perhaps society could have taken this shift and it wouldn't have even needed for marriage to be outlawed. It would just be a dismantling of all the benefits and the legal safeguards around it. And then it would just have sort of fallen out of favour. And so that's kind of the premise for the society I'm writing about. I'm in. I have never, I have never heard of anything else like this, really. One last question I have for you, Tanya. Yeah. Tell me your favourite spinster. <laughs> My favourite spinster. Oh, there's so many. I don't even know how you define spinster. My favourites. But you put me on the spot here. I have. On This Day She, the, the Twitter account that I set up with two friends that we were on your wonderful podcast a couple of years ago. And our book, On This Day She, Putting Women Back Into History. We very often found when you'd look up on Wikipedia, they'd say some amazing scientist and they'd say, oh... And she never married. Mm. So it would probably have to be one of the wonderful scientists who now you put me on the spot. I've completely oh, forgotten. Caroline, Caroline Herschel. Herschel? Caroline yeah. Herschel. Yeah. Yeah. And she's because one of them. actually her being a spinster meant yeah. that she did incredible things. It worked out. Yeah, for her. she was she was looking after her brother for quite quite a lot of yeah. time. So but yeah. That was one of the things with astronomers though. Women could do astronomy because all you needed was like a rooftop and a telescope. Yeah. So definitely Caroline Herschel. But there are loads more. This amazing American woman, Reza Micklenburg, has set up an a society called the Hermets, which is kind of like the French version of Hermit, which is all about amazing, fabulous single people living their best lives on their own. So look up the Hermets. I shall. There's more of us out there than people might think. Standard issue for all women.